Thank you for tuning in to the podcast from the Children's Work Group Early Childhood Task Force meeting featuring a discussion of how Pennsylvania's child care system is responding to the COVID-19 crisis. My name is Joe Willard of the People's Emergency Center. This podcast was recorded on Friday, May 15th at the Children's Work Group Early Childhood meeting. We are now conducting our meetings via Zoom and recording the conversations to share with our audience. Today's podcast features Aisha Weaver and Sarah Vrabrick of PEC's Building Early Links for Learning, The Bell Project. They are talking with Karen Grin-Thomas, External Communications Director for Pennsylvania's Office of Child Development and Early Learning. Later on in the program, we asked Deborah Hartran for the School District of Philadelphia's Early Childhood Department to discuss their online registration tool for pre-K. The podcast concludes with comments by Malkia Singleton, co-chair of the Children's Work Group and State Director of Parent Child Plus. Let's listen in. So our purpose today is to come on and we've been talking to our shelter contacts and our ECE programs and we've been listening and taking into consideration everybody's concerns and questions that you have with the child care programs um, to phase in and reopen. So we wanted to have a discussion and to just basically cater to your questions and your concerns. And we have complied all of your concerns and we turned them into discussion talking points today. And um, Karen Grimm-Thomas will be leading that discussion and answering some of you guys' questions that we have taken away from conversations with having with everyone. Um, Sarah? Yes. Hi. Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah Vrabic. I'm um, an early childhood education specialist with the Bell Project. Uh, Aisha did a great job explaining our conversation that's going to happen today. So I just wanted to thank Karen. And I think we're going to go ahead and get started. Also, if you have questions that come up uh, during this presentation, please feel free to put them in the chat box. We will be monitoring the chat throughout today's meeting. Okay, Karen, if you're ready, please take it away. Uh, good morning, everybody, and uh, can you hear me? Everything yes. good? Okay, great. Uh, thank you for um, having me. Um, as they said, I'm Karen Grimm-Thomas. I'm the Director of External Relations for the Office of Child Development and Early Learning. Um, my position is really about um, making sure that there's kind of like a, a high-level coordination of all of our different stakeholder um, groups that um, different staff within the office uh, manage. And I'm also just, you know, it, my role is really about, you know, listening to providers, um, helping providers understand Octo policy, intent behind the policy, and then um, bringing some feedback back to the leadership team as to how that policy is being felt in programs. Um, so it's um, really, really beneficial to me when I can actually be in rooms and talk to folks that are, you know, interacting with programs. So I appreciate this. Um, I did take a look at the questions that were sent out. And I tried to group them into some, you know, because some of them are very similar, and I think I can do just some general um, answering. There are questions around Octel's recommendations. Everybody's concerned about health and safety um, for operating programs. And as programs, you know, move from, as counties move from the red to the yellow phase and more programs can be operating. So first, throughout the, throughout the crisis, we have had on any given day about 1,500 childcare programs those are family group homes, um, 
family childcare, group homes, and center-based programs were operating on a waiver. So on any given day, about 1,500 have been operating throughout the crisis. Um, and we've learned a lot from those programs. Um, and so we you know, hope to continue to learn as more programs move into the yellow about what works for them and what supports they need. Um, so this has been going on you know, throughout the crisis. Um, those programs originally were only supposed to be serving um, families of essential services staff. I think that was often confusing for folks because um, the, as the governors, you know, originally the, most people think of essential services staff as um, you know, the healthcare industry. But what we realized early on is that um, there were a number of other um, job types that really fit under this. Any, basically anybody that needed to work, um, they were essential services. And then as the governor um, granted, as DCED granted waivers to businesses to stay open, that list got even bigger. So our, pro our, our process was really to um, rely on childcare programs to basically tell us if they had essential services staff within their families and that they needed to be open. Um, there were a lot of questions about how our waiver process worked and it was really, they needed to self-declare that to us. Um, we didn't have the capacity to go out and kind of monitor what the positions were and they were changing and depending on the area, they were changing. So we kind of did that, you know, they self-monitored that. Um, at this point in time, we did initially put out some guidance that was a little bit more Pennsylvania specific, but it was really based on the CDC guidance that was originally put out or, you know, in early April, late March. Um, but that guidance has been updated since. And I mean, even just this morning or last night, the CDC put out some additional guidance. So the approach that um, the Department of Health has taken is that we are gonna to continue to point programs back to that CDC guidance. We feel it's the best set of guidance that they can, you know, they, that we have out there. It's based on not just things happening in Pennsylvania, but it's based on the knowledge that they have from across the country and even internationally um, working with the World Health Organization. So we feel like it's the best, most comprehensive set of guidance for programs. What Pennsylvania has chosen to do, we're really fortunate. We have um, a senior health manager at the PA Key named Amy Requa. And um, Amy has a long standing history with the early childhood, early childhood community in Pennsylvania. She worked for years with um, Head Start and early Head Start programs in the TA system. And now she's kind of moved to the key and is um, transferring and kind of expanding that support to um, all of our early learning programs, not just Head Start and early Head Start. So we're having Amy working with the Department of Health and with some pediatricians across the state to provide some resources to program to help them understand and you know, implement the guidance that the CDC has, has put out. Um, that she's uh, doing a set of pretty much weekly webinars. Um, initially she did a webinar that was specifically for center-based programs and one specifically for family child cares that really was very basic and really just kind of went through the CDC guidance step by step. Um, mostly, you know, targeting programs that maybe hadn't been operating and were thinking about, uh, you know, operating. Um, and then from there, what she's been doing is each week she does another webinar where she dives a little bit deeper into a specific topic within the CDC guidance. There's also um, an email address that we're encouraging programs throughout the week to submit their specific questions. You know, watch the webinars, and if you have, if you they didn't answer your question, they, they can submit it through that email address. And Amy's using that to help with the content. Um, so she has some ideas about some bigger buckets that she's going to talk about. 
but her goal is really to have the content driven by what the field is telling her they need. Um, so I know uh, her, second, her second webinar, she spent a lot of time talking about masks because there were a lot of concerns about masks and children and how does that work. Um, throughout this process, we've been really trying to help programs understand that this is guidance. Um, there's, you know, Octel believes that this is the best information for programs that want to operate and, you know, keeping their, particularly their staff safe, um, but keeping everybody safe. But what, they're not regulations. And so in terms of certification and being required to do specific things, the only thing that, that we can require you to do are the things that are in our childcare certification regulations. Um, our certification staff are a, a bit concerned about that, but that's, you know, that's where we are at this point. Um, there have been some discussions about taking some pieces out of that CDC guidance, whether it's things related to, um, you know, the maximum group sizes that the CDC recommends or whether it's who wears masks. Um, there's been some conversations with the Department of Health um, and the governor's office about the need to maybe elevate those um, with some form of an order. Um, much like what happened with um, the um, health and safety rigs and fire safety recently, where they were able to kind of group that those new fire safety requirements underneath the general health and safety citations. Um, there was a decision that that wasn't necessary at this point in time, but it is a topic of conversation. It is being reviewed regularly. Um, and should the Department of Health, should we get new information um, that makes the Department of Health rethink that and issue any kind of order. Um, we will make sure to be communicating that information out through our certification listserv. And we're really encouraging programs to maintain um, a close contact with their certification rep, because that rep is really gonna be the best person at any, I apologize, I have a clock and it's gonna keep going. <laughs> um, um, but that certification rep is really going to be that point person. They're going to be the best source on any given day of helping a program understand what exactly is a requirement because of regulation and what exactly is um, guidance. Again, knowing that Octel really believes in the guidance, we believe it's the best way to keep, you know, families, kids, staff safe. Um, but at the same time, in terms of what we're able to actually cite a program for not doing, um, it, those, that's just the childcare regs. Um, I'm gonna pause there, because I think, see if I got any additional questions or anybody wants any clarifications. So I did put the link to Amy's webinars into the chat, if people are able to see that. And, uh, you do have to copy and paste it into your browser. It's not a direct link but I did put that in the chat. Yeah, and we're calling them webinars. They're really not there um, because we had such a, a huge interest in them. Um, we, uh, what Amy's doing is she's really filming them ahead, taping them as webcasts um, and making them available on demand. The first week that we did them, they were webinars um, and within you know, a couple of minutes of opening them up, we maxed out the per, you know, who could participate. So we just made that decision. Um, and we've just been calling them webinars just because it's easy, but it's really, they're on demand. So anytime you click on the link, you can watch it, you can pause it, you can go back into it. Um, trying to see. So um, Aisha, do, do you feel like did that cover the questions that were in there around health and safety and those kinds of things? Yes, um, I'm checking questions now. 
Um, I'm not sure if you spoke, or it might be just clarity of like, are there any kind of medical or mental health services or early intervention or any special services that families right. can access right now? Right. So early intervention, both our zero to five and our, our birth to five and our three to our birth to three and our three to five program, they are operating. They're, they're doing tele um, services. Um, so we're encouraging, you know, providers and families to still continue to reach out to the early intervention provider in their area um, and, you know, work with them to, you know, they're trying to do, um, if it's possible to do assessments via, you know, um, you know, via video. Um, I mean, I, I, it's, it's amazing the work that they're doing um, through tele, teleservice. Um, our home visiting programs are still doing those things, and all of both of our state-funded pre-K programs. So Head Start, the Head Start Supplemental, and our Pre-K Counts program. Um, teachers are, you know, working with families, um, and you know, trying to support kids uh, learning through through video conferencing and different forms like that. Um, they're also, I think, just kind of keeping touch with families on what their basic needs are and making sure that they know where the resources in their, in their particular area are. Um, we worked with a lot of programs uh, around you know, trying to set up, uh, we were able to find some stuff in the central part of the state around diapers and you know, because we were hearing that um, there were shortages in, you know, in families' ability to be able to find them because they just weren't on the shelf, much like toilet paper and hand sanitizer for a while. Um, that seems to have kind of come back on the other side and those items are much easier to find at this point. Um, yeah, so I know also that, and I can send you the links for this, but the, um, there is a statewide uh, mental health number that folks can also access. They can call if they or somebody that they know is experiencing any kind of mental health crisis. Um, you know, and the, I can forward some um, information that the Secretary of um, you know, Human Services that Secretary Miller has put out um, to really try to support the citizens of the Commonwealth during what is, you know, really a, a difficult time for everybody and, you know, wanting to make sure that they're making arrangements for that and supporting them. Yeah, that'll be great. If you can send that to Jill, then Jill can um, email blast it out to everyone that's on the call right now today. Okay. Um, it was another question in the chat. It talks about the mask. So it says, will children need to wear masks? If so, how can we get masks in abundance as we will need masks as much as we need the gloves? Right. So um, the CDC guidance is the only real specific thing that it talks about is that children under the age of two should not wear a mask. They lack the lung capacity to be able to breathe properly with a mask on and it can become you know, a, a breathing issue. Um, children also should not be wearing masks if they're physically active, so if they're running around. Um, so the recommendation is for children older than two, if they are able to wear a mask effectively, that they wear a mask. Um, the whole reason for masks is to protect the people around you. And because we know that children, um, you know, we're, we're learning some additional things about kids and still have a lot of questions, but in general, the thinking is that the majority of children are asymptomatic. If they do that, if they do get coronavirus, coronavirus, they are asymptomatic. And so um, the the idea is that teachers need to expect um, that any child in their program at any given time has the virus and could pass it on to them. So the mask is really about keeping the staff safe. Um, 
and to some extent the other children in the classroom safe as well. But we know that if you're if a child can't put the mask on properly and keep it on without you know moving it and touching it constantly, taking it off, putting it back on, um, that it's not effective. That it it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, and it could actually create situations where teachers are interacting even more closely with kids than they should because they're getting down and having to like prompt them and help help put it back on. We're also concerned about um, just negative atmosphere. If you're constantly being told, no, don't do that. No, don't do that. That's, you know, we know that right. that can be really, um, you can start to be traumatic for kiddos. Um, so what, what Amy talks about is really, providers need to really work with families um, to understand individual children's capabilities. This is very much like anything else that we're gonna teach kids. We can't expect them to just one day show up and put a mask on and wear it the way they're supposed to. Um, teachers, we need to work with kids and, and teachers need to be given um, basically the uh, autonomy to say in conjunction with a parent that this particular child wearing a mask, it does not make sense. Um, we're also encouraging them though to keep having those conversations because it might not make sense today, but next week after seeing other people wearing the mask for a while, it might make sense and they might be able to try it. The point is that we just want to be able to support that um, development in a positive way, in a way that really um, builds a child's socio-emotional development, builds a child's self-esteem rather than making the child feel like they're not doing something and that they're bad. Um, and we know that that's, that's a concern for a lot of folks in terms of the impact that this could potentially have on kids' mental health. Um, so we're very aware of that. Um, as far as where to find, where to find uh, masks and gloves and other PPE, um, you know, Octel would love to be able to um, provide those things. Um, we, we're not a distributor. We really don't have any means yeah, you know, basically we distribute funds. <laughs> so um, our goal at this point, we did, um, you know, so in terms of what, how we've been trying to support programs financially, we have throughout the crisis been paying uh, programs, their childcare work subsidy payments. So if a program had children in their, you know, in their um, enrollment that were on subsidy, we've been paying that subsidy and we've been paying it based on enrollment rather than on attendance or whether the program's operating. Um, right now, we have a policy in place that will do that through the end of May, um, and our fiscal staff and our policy staff are working with the governor's budget office and DHS leadership to put out an updated policy that will let folks know what's happening in June. Um, we know that you know we're halfway through May now, so folks are definitely wanting to know what's happening with CCW in June, and we hope to have that information out um, soon um, to help folks in their planning. Um, the other thing that we're able to do um, our CARES dollars, we did receive our allocation of CARES dollars from the federal government. Um, those CCDBG dollars come with some flexibility. Our typical child care development block grant dollars have limitations and we're only allowed to direct those dollars to programs that are participating in the subsidy system. Um, these CARES dollars do not have those limitations. So we are going to be able to, we, you know, Again, our fiscal folks and DHS leadership and the governor's budget office are currently working on a distribution strategy for those dollars. And um, I, we're hoping to be able to get information out to everybody very soon about that. But the strategy does include some relief for programs that um, don't participate in childcare work. So programs that are primarily, uh, their budgets are primarily based on private pay tuition. Um, because we know a lot of, you know, our childcare system has a lot of programs in it that don't utilize the subsidy, don't 
participate very highly in subsidy. Um, so the, the hope is that, that some of that economic relief um, you know, will go directly to programs. Um, there'll be a few limitations on how the dollars can be used, but it's really about, um, it's a recognition that there's been a loss of revenue and that these dollars we're hoping are gonna do something to you know, supplement some of that loss. Um, so programs will have that money at their disposal to purchase. Um, we're asking programs to think about um, shared source. I know that I saw in the notes that there was some conversation about that, shared source PA, like any way that you can um, work together and bulk buy those items, you know, we, we wanna support that. Um, but Octel doesn't have the, that capability to do that ourselves. Um, so, um, but we're, we're very interested if folks are finding, you know, if, if somebody's found a source and it's working, there is, you know, DCED is maintaining a website where they're actually trying to, um, you can go, you can log in and tell them what your needs are and they will try to match you with, you know, a, a provider. So if there is a, a, um, a manufacturer that has PPE or has cleaning supplies, um, they're trying to do those things. So I can make sure to send you guys those emails um, that those are those links to go into that, um, the site on the DCED website to fill that out. That would be great, Karen, thank you. We've had some questions come up in the chat. I'm gonna start with Charlene's question. What if childcare is allowed to reopen per the governor's order, but, child care, but a childcare program does not open immediately? Will that be counted as absences no, so, okay. so again, through May at this point, regardless of whether you're operating, you're receiving payments based on enrollment in March. We need to clarify, we need to come up with a policy, like an extension of that policy for June. Um, and that, that's in the works and we hope to have that out. But um, Octel recognizes, I mean, and we, we actually did put out just some information for folks on what to do as more counties were moved from red to yellow um, and more programs were able to operate without a waiver, we put through like a decision tree for folks to think through um, because we do want you to, we want programs to evaluate whether or not they are able to meet our certification regs and follow CDC guidance. Um, we want them to evaluate whether or not their families, you know, not all families are going to return to care. We anticipate that um, families have had found other arrangements um, that families are going to be a bit hesitant to have children in group care. We expect that. So we, you know, we also expect that staff might be hesitant to come back. So programs are going to really need to use all of those pieces of information to determine when it makes sense for them to open once they're in a yellow count, their counties move to yellow. It's not our expectation that everybody is going to open immediately. Um, so, you know, that the idea of paying CCW payments through May. Um, we're hoping is giving some of those, you know, some folks some flexibility to make those decisions. And then our goal is that we can do that again in June, um, but we need to wait for um, that final approval before we can, you know, give programs the, the green light and say we're definitely doing that. So we have another question um, about an emergency resource for parents needing more support with their children with special needs um, in the home right now. Uh, home visitors have been asking that question. Um, emergency resource for parents needing more support with their children. I, I'm not really sure. Um, I, I'm not really sure what the, the, if I understand the question, I guess, I'm sorry. Okay, I don't know if, Liz, are you 
Are you on the, the Zoom still? Do you want to clarify? Hi, thank you. Yeah, um, I think home visitors are seeing families with uh, children with special needs that don't have their usual services and are really struggling right now. And um, wondering if there is a resource, any kind of emergency resource, um, thinking safety and prevention really here if, if our home visitors are seeing something. So if the family, if the child had been receiving some kind of early intervention services, I mean, the goal is that they should be still in communication with any of those therapists. We understand that tele-support is not going to replace actual being in person. Um, but I think what Wachtell has been saying is that the family really, they need to reach out and make sure that their providers that they're interacting with either through the phone or on video conferences understand that they're stressed and they're having trouble. Um, again, I think, you know, the mental health line um, that uh, I'm going to share with you that the state has, um, does have a component where, you know, if, if, the, if the person that's having the issue is younger, they can, they're going to be able to provide um, appropriate supports. We also have our infant early childhood mental health um, uh, consultants through the PA key. They are still available to do tele-support for programs. Um, and I, I, I would guess that if a, a home visiting, you know, a home visitor had questions that they could, you know, they could call those folks and they would at least be able to point them and give them some resources to use with a family. Um, you know, they really are, they're there to work with, um, childcare programs, but, um, you know, I know that they would share resources. So we have those things. Um, but other than that, I'm not sure, um, I, I mean, I think that's pretty much what we have at this point. If folks are feeling like they need additional things, send me some emails and let me know and we can see if there are other things that we can, you know, go through OMSAS maybe and provide additional supports. I see there's a question about um, the ancillary respiratory illness. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, that that's very new information. Um, we, um, I, I think there's still questions up about uh, Pennsylvania was not aware that we had cases. The Department of Health wasn't aware that there were cases here in Pennsylvania, but we know that the national news has been reporting that there were cases in Pennsylvania. Um, so they are um, you know, doing some surveys of hospitals and trying to get some more information about this. Um, it is disturbing. I mean, I think they still are, you know, looking at our numbers are still very comfortable in their assessment that um, COVID-19 doesn't pose the same, at this point, hasn't been shown to pose the same kinds of risk in young kids as it has in adults. If, you know, the, the Department of Health has been um, on a daily basis posting um, some different data points about our numbers and across the, you know, consistently um, the cases that we're seeing, it's less than 1% of the cases are in children um, under the age of 18. So, um, we still, you know, they still, I think, are feeling fairly strongly that in general that their assessment of how COVID impacts kids is there, um, but they are concerned and want to make sure that, I mean, because even though it's rare, um, it does appear that when it happens, it's a pretty severe thing. So working to get information out to families and providers about signs of these new symptoms that they should be really paying and, you know, looking out for. Um, 
because the other part of it is that we realize what everything we're hearing is that um, if it is recognized and treated as frightening as it is, it's it's treatable and children make a whole recovery. It tends to, you know, the, the, the tragic cases have been when um, there's been trouble identifying that that's what's happening. Um, mm -hmm. So keep, you know, keep an eye out for the you know, resources with the Department of Health and they're, they're gonna continue to assess the situation. I have a question. Mm -hmm. um, I know that you mentioned the mental health hotline, Karen. I was mm -hmm. wondering if there has been conversation within Octel about how to release some guidance to childcare programs to help them address uh, children maybe yes. uh, acting out because of you know, experiencing domestic violence during this time or parents struggling with their mental health yes. during this quarantine. Um, yes. I don't so know if you could speak to that. Our, our infant, our, um, our infant and early childhood mental health consultants have been pulling together resources um, and looking. I know uh, Brandy Fox, who is the you know coordinates that directs that program, um, just did a, a webinar with Penn AC to talk about different things that they're putting together. So we do plan on um, you know our our we have our stars system. We have our quality coaches, and it's you know really been looking up until now at our broad set of quality indicators and our standards. Um, and I think it's really, everybody's really understanding that our focus really needs to shift and we really need to be focusing on health and safety and we need to be focusing on children's positive socio-emotional development. Um, so we do plan on, you know, that, that section of the PA Key website is being re-looked at and updated. Um, and again, programs always have those consultants to reach out to um, mm -hmm. with concerns about specific kiddos and those consultants are available for um, you know, tele, tele support. Um, I saw a question about providing guidelines related to conducting home visits. So um, we are working on that where all state departments were asked to come up with like a, a you know, the, the red, yellow, green kind of comparison of what does, what do services look like? Um, and based on the CDC guidance, the CDC really is um, recommending that childcare programs that are operating limit the number of adults that are coming in and out of their building, even to the extent that they're asking programs, they're recommending that programs set up some kind of a screening for children to make sure that they're not exhibiting any symptoms prior to coming in the building and that parents don't even come into the building. Um, so based on that guidance, Octo is going to continue. I mean, we're going to be issuing some more specific information for folks to see on what services should look like in red counties versus yellow counties versus green counties. But the intent is that um, where possible, tele, um, telepractice is going to happen. Um, so programs would be getting supports with the same people that, you know, the people that used to come into their program will just be doing those things via phone calls and video chats. Um, knowing that if there is an extenuating circumstance and it really does make sense to come out to a program, that they would be doing that um, in a yellow place, but that the goal would be to do as much of it as possible. So home visitors are gonna be under that. Um, again, the birth to three and the three to five system should be operating that way. So for the most part, the majority of their, their services would be tele, but there would be, um, you know, and, and we're gonna try to leave it up to supervisors and staff to kind of dis, you know, determine, does the situation warrant them going out to a program? Um, we're waiting for um, DHS wide has issued in terms of certification and licensing. There's been a, a, a pause on all of that. Um, 
So certifications have been extended. Um, and again, certification staff are only going out to programs if there is a complaint issued. And um, the idea would be that uh, until DHS does, they, they, they want it to be a um, department some consistency across licensing departments. So they're currently working on um, what licensing will look like in yellow counties and a decision about, you know, they, they just want to make sure that it's consistent, that childcare is not going out to, to sites, but they're not going out to nursing homes or something. They want to have it be consistent. So we're waiting on that guidance. But for them, in the meantime, certification staff are only going out if there's a complaint. Um, there's a question in the chat box, and it is, will the open door policy for parents and caregivers be waived temporarily? Yeah, so again, Octel, we can't um, require specific policies that aren't in our certification regs, but the CDC guidance, which we support and would like programs to follow, does recommend that you limit the adults that come in and out of your building. And so they provide um, three different levels of how programs could screen children prior to coming in, um, with one being much more severe, you know, the, the provider is totally PPE'd up and behind a, um, a barrier to, you know, they tried to give them different um, levels and what that would look like knowing that different programs are set up. I mean, we had family providers saying, you know, if you want me to screen kids before they come in my, like they would literally be standing on the sidewalk um, outside my house because as soon as they walk in the door, I don't have an, an entrance area. They're standing at the bottom of the steps that lead up to my bedroom. Um, so we recognize that and they tried to give um, folks, you know, different levels, different scenarios that they can choose. But essentially it's that they want um, to limit the number of adults that come into the set setting. So I have another question. Um, I know that for many programs, we like to emphasize prioritizing the enrollment of children experiencing homelessness. Has there been guidance, conversation about how we might continue to do that during this time and um, as more counties start to reopen? Yeah, uh, if I'm honest at this point, what we have, I mean, so when a, pro, when a county is in red and a program is operating on a waiver, what we've told programs is that their priority should be children of essential services staff. Um, because that's, that's, you know, and the, the idea that other children should not be in group care in a red county. Um, as they move into yellow counties, um, we've not put out specific guidance around that. Again, knowing that um, I, I think enrollment is just going to be a really, really, um, it's going to be challenging in general for programs. I mean, again, trying to anticipate and understand which of their parents need care and are going to be willing to have kids come back to group care. Um, you know, so I, I, I know that we talk with Tracy Duarte a lot um, and she does calls with uh, Head Start and the early Head Start programs and our pre-K counts folks are part of those as well if they want to be. Um, and, you know, the idea of making sure that we're thinking about this and that we're recognizing that um, our, you know, we there are probably a lot more families within your um, programs that you know you that are homeless at this point. Um, we know that more families have are you know they're experiencing economic trauma you know problems and um, although they're, the governor tried to do some things around protections in terms of renting and and, um, and housing, um, we know that that's not going to you know that there are families that are losing their housing. They're becoming insecure. Mm -hmm. um, 
We also know that families that um, not all of the kiddos that maybe were in a program prior are going to be there. When they lose housing, they might actually relocate someplace. Um, so having those conversations in general about broadening your idea about what you were thinking of in terms of serving kids that are experiencing homelessness and not making assumptions about families based on you know, what you knew their reality to be before COVID hit. Um, if you have specific things that you think it would be helpful for programs to be thinking about, I know that we would be very happy to take your information and work through some stuff and you know, put out some guidance for folks. Um, yeah, definitely more than that. Yeah, that would be wonderful. I think that's a great point not to make an assumption about a family based on their circumstances before this pandemic. And I know that we would like to encourage anyone who has an idea about how Octel could uh, implement this into some guidance that might be released, please feel free to put it into the chat or email us individually. We would love to compile your ideas. Uh, there's another question. It is uh, the ELRC is currently still processing subsidy renewals during this time. What happens to the families who are out of work during the pandemic and cannot supply the pay stubs needed okay. to complete the right. determination? Um, so the first thing I'm going to do, just because I, we need to we need to do this. I know with Philadelphia, um, you the transition to ELRCs was a year delayed. Um, but CCIS was the child care information services that um, was the name of the organization that previously administered our subsidy program. So our subsidy program is actually child care works. And I try to help people understand what those terms mean because um, there's a lot of confusion. People hear CCIS went away and they think that that means the subsidy system went away. So we, I just try to really help people understand so it's actually early learning resource centers administer our child care work subsidy program. So um, they've been issued um, some guidance on how to, you know, there's some flexibility there. We recognize, you know, so whether they can go back um, pay stubs, you know, that, that, you know, that program or families might not be able to come up with their specific, you know, what's happening right now. So they were issued some guidance on how to be a little bit, you know, be more flexible about that. I'm trying to think if there were other things in what you sent ahead. Um, I have one. I said it was on uh, what we sent ahead. So it's in regards to the ECE staff. So it's the question about just have the staff been finding regular opportunities to discuss how to best um, address the needs and any others. So basically, have they considered the supports that are needed to inform, train, and equip staff for handling their personal and professional needs, as well as the children and families' needs as they prepare to reopen the child care program? Um, so I think if I'm understanding the question, so um, we've continued to put out information about um, professional development opportunities mm -hmm. for staff. Um, you know, our, our Keystone Star system has been kind of suspended, um, you know, Folks are in kind of a hold harmless place at this point, um, but we've been trying to um, you know, make sure that folks understand what's available in the registry for that they can, you know, what's available online that, you know, if they, they have access to that, they can log in and actually attend trainings. Um, again, we have our ECMH, ECMH staff that are on hand to provide supports in terms of um, 
you know, positive socio-emotional development and mental health. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I think we're just trying to make sure that um, the information that we've, you know, because this is what Octel did anyway, even outside of a pandemic, that was our role, or that was the PA Keys role. And so I think really what the approach has been is to make sure that what's up there is incredibly relevant um, and includes what staff are going to need um, in terms of, you know, any operational changes during a, during the pandemic that are as a result of that. And um, again, if, if folks are finding gaps in things, we want to hear about those gaps because we want to be, you know, come up with ways to fill them. Hi, Karen, this is Roslyn. Hi, Roz. Hi. Uh, so I, <clears throat> I, I just posed a, a thought. Um, typically, Head Start, early Head Start programs or similar programs have funding towards a staff person that's specifically focused on health and wellness of the families, making sure that families have a medical home, et cetera, mm -hmm. um, examinations and trainings. I don't know that that is a widespread uh, function or of staff in the early childhood education community. Do you imagine that that gap can at least be partially filled or considered or some training for staff who are just not trained healthcare professionals, um, but may you know, need to assess children and their wellness when they come into their centers? You know, yeah, so we've actually had some different conversations around this where we, I mean, Tracy Duarte and I actually um, did a call with Head Start and early Head Start folks this week, earlier this week, um, we talked about shared services. Um, and one of the things that we talked about was uh, shared services in terms of health and, you know, using health coordinators, using health staff, um, again, recognizing that everything needs to be cost allocated, that we're not suggesting that you take staff that are paid with federal dollars and have them work in non-federal setting, you know, non-Head Start settings, but that working with programs to kind of, you know, band together um, and think about, is there room for any fee for service? Do, we, do you have a staff person that maybe you didn't have somebody full time, but if you were able to partner with an early learning program, could you get them full-time hours? So just thinking about it from a shared services perspective. Um, we've also um, been thinking about ways to use um, Amy Riqua and her expertise um, with the um, current folks that, you know, we have a set of folks that are going into programs on a routine basis prior to um, COVID um, and providing coaching and TA to programs. So, how do we use what Amy knows to kind of give those folks, whether it's the quality coaches, um, we have our entire um, PQA team, our program quality assessment team. They were going in and doing, you know, the, the um, environmental rating scales and the class assessments on programs, which at this point in time are in complete hiatus. Um, so how do we take a look at those staff that I think have a really good eye for those kinds of things and um, would not take a whole lot to add on to that. Um, nothing has been really kind of, we have a couple of things that we're looking at and trying to figure out um, how best to maximize that. But yeah, we do recognize, but we also keep kind of stepping back. Um, and, and I think it's been interesting this week because I know that um, the statewide advocacy community has this, they, they have their campaign, their six weeks to save childcare. And this week really focused on um, this idea that programs are gonna need additional training around um, sanitation. and. One of the things that we've been trying to talk through is the idea that um, 
when the child care development block grant was reauthorized, they really um, upped the health and safety requirements. Um, and Pennsylvania has always, in particularly compared to other states, our certification regulations have always been really pretty rigorous. And in, in the health and safety area, we've always been pretty rigorous. So embedded in certification, and then also within that first level of STARS, that STAR 1, are you know, what we consider to be really rigorous standards around sanitation, um, hygiene, those kinds of things. So just helping folks understand um, that, and I think if you talk to a lot of childcare programs, they would say, they've been saying this, this, we do this already. We've always done this. We always do this to keep kids from catching viruses. But we do need to understand that this is a heightened, there is a heightened concern here. But I think just thinking through the practices that folks are already doing um, and, and supporting them and how to do that, um, it, it, you know, and really be purposeful about it. So yeah, we, we have a lot of that stuff that we're thinking through. Um, I, I don't anticipate any, I, again, I know that the um, advocates are asking for a specific training. Um, I, I do know that we're taking a look at the basic training that, again, for certification, the health and safety standards that they need to meet already and ensuring that they really are covering what they would need to cover for COVID. But um, the certification staff that are looking at this have, at this point in time, they're pretty confident that what we have in place is really, you know, has always been really rigorous. Thank you, Karen. So I think we're going to start winding down so we can move on to our next presenter. If people have additional questions, would you prefer them to email you directly, Karen, or perhaps email the Bell staff and we can send sure. you a list? I am just going to right now do I'm gonna in the chat put my name and my contact information. Great. Thank you so much. And I'm also gonna include my cell number. Um, because I think sometimes it's just easier to talk. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. And I did want to mention that because we are recording this meeting, we also will have a transcript of the chat. Um, so if, if it would be helpful for us to kind of email out everything that was discussed today uh, following this meeting, we can do that too. And I see there's a specific question about ELRCs and subsidy applications. And yes, mm -hmm. they are processing subsidy applications right now. Um, I think the other thing for especially uh, the majority of your folks, the folks on the call, they're from the Philly area, correct? From Philadelphia. So I think the other thing I always try to remember to say when I'm on calls with folks from Philadelphia is that there's the added layer of um, the mayor's office. And, you know, so I know um, there, there was some confusion early on when uh, about um, childcare status, um, particularly in Philadelphia, when the, the um, stay-at-home orders came through. And um, we have been really encouraging, um, Deputy Secretary Tracy Campanini has been encouraging, you know, folks uh, above her, and then Sean Perkins and the mayor's office on his end, the folks above him, to make sure that there's really good coordination as we come out of, um, you know, stay-at-home orders. So, but in general, I mean, programs, they have that added layer. So OCTO has a waiver process, but then there's an additional set of requirements or, you know, um, criteria that the mayor's office would like to see people keep. So we, I always try to remind folks that, that, um, you know, that we're coordinating as much as we can, 
but they need to also make sure that they're you know in close contact with folks from the mayor's office if they want to make sure they're giving everybody the, the full set of information that programs in Philly need. Great. Well, thank you, Karen. This is great. Um, now we're going to hand it back over to Joe and Malkia. Uh, thanks, Aisha. Uh, this is Joe. Um, Karen, thank you. Thank you very much for spending some time with us on this. Um, really applaud you for that. And we know a lot more than we knew before. Um, in the next 10 minutes, um, we've asked uh, Deborah Hartran from the School District of Philadelphia to join us and share uh, with everyone uh, their online process for registering children for pre-K. Deborah. Hi, good morning everyone. Thank you for having me. It's good to see many of you. Um, so I wanted to speak a little bit today and thank you Joe for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to speak to everyone. Um, we have recently turned our paper application into an online virtual application so that we can continue enrollment for the 2020-2021 school year. So we wanted to make sure that everyone was aware of that. That's, you can access that on our website at um, phillasd.org backslash pre-K. There's also, along with the online application, there's also a stepper that's available that's also on the website there underneath the online application. It'll show that there's a stepper. So if anybody wants um, some assistance walking through that process, you can open up the stepper and it will give you a, step, a 10 step um, with pictures guiding through the process. We're also checking our voicemails daily. So the phone number, our 215-400-4270 phone number is still um, being checked. You're not gonna get an answer because no one's in the office, but we check it daily and we will return calls within 48 hours. There's also a contact form which you'll find as well on our website where parents can quickly enter in their information um, and request a phone call back. And within 48 hours, one of our staff will call them back. Um, whether they're trying to check up on an application they've already submitted or they need help um, putting in the application. There are a couple of, um, I would say concerns with the online application. Some of our parents don't have accessibility. They don't have internet access or they don't have computers. So we're still accepting paper applications. Those can still be mailed to the school district. We're picking them up. Um, they can also be dropped off at the drop box in the very front. When you walk through the doors on the left, there is a drop box. They can be dropped off there. They can also be emailed and we'll process them. Sometimes that's difficult. I mean, if you don't have a computer, how are you gonna email the application? But that still is an option for some families. Um, some families also might have access to a computer, but they're, you know, they're not computer literate and they have a hard time. So just reach out to our staff. Our staff, we've gone through training um, and we're there to help and walk parents through it if they need. There's also a concern with language. Um, Philadelphia is incredibly diverse, and unfortunately right now our parent portal is only in English and Spanish, which does not represent our community. So what we are encouraging um, families to do is either call us and we can use our interpretation line to walk them through the process within 
a phone interpreter, or we still have all of the applications available. Um, the paper applications are in every language for the community. So that's also an option. Um, I'm looking to try to make connections with cultural organizations that would be able to be a point of contact for our families. Um, that was something we were trying to start to roll out in February. Miss um, Ludi Soderman and I were going to have this big fair in May. Obviously, that was put on hold. Um, but that's still something that we're trying to work on virtually. So hopefully we will have that um, soon for our families. I also wanted to say, in addition, um, apart from our application process, if you don't follow us on Facebook, we are posting every day, our teachers are posting um, lessons for our children. So if you are a provider and you want to link into that and you want to share that and use that with your children, please use the resources that we have. We're posting a video from our parent or our teachers, excuse me, every day um, at 10 and also on Thursdays we have another one at 7. Um, and I think, re I'm not sure if it was yesterday, but quite recently there was one that was posted about wearing a mask. We had created a little storybook about wearing a mask. So, so if that's something you also want to share with your families and staff, please feel free. I believe that's it. Thanks, Joe. Uh, Deborah or Deborah? Yes, ma'am. Um, could you tell, I'm very interested in, this is Kashmira, hi. I'm very interested in how um, we can follow you on Facebook. What is the, what, what is the group or the name? Where I'm going to put it in our chat. Thank you for asking. Okay, thank you. Deborah, could you also put in the chat the phone number again, please, yes. for people? Yes, I will. Yeah, we can make an attempt to summarize what's in the chat um, and email that out to everybody. Mm -hmm. And I, I, someone uh, did ask about the paper application, how do parents access it, and could it be mailed to them if they request it? Yes. Great. Great, Deborah. Thank you very much. Um, we'll we'll stay in touch, and I really love the idea about the daily postings for uh, things that parents can do, and, and we'll make sure that we get that out to the homeless housing agencies. There's also we sent um, a resource packet to our families that are currently enrolled, and I'm going to send the link, post the link as well in the chat because um, you know. It's on our website, it's free to everyone. If everyone wants to use it, send it out to families, use it. Um, that's great. Awesome. Great, 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 thank you. Uh, Malkia, do you wanna take us out? Malkia? Sorry, I was talking and I was still muted. <laughs> How many people have done that in the past few weeks, right? <laughs> But thank you all again um, for joining us. Thank you to our presenters, Karen and Deborah um, and Sarah and Aisha for facilitating that conversation. I think all the resources are really helpful and it really just shows um, even though we can't be together in person, we can still help each other and share, share resources. So thank you again, um, stay safe. And we hope to you know, be in touch probably virtually again for next month's meeting as well. Okay, so you'll um, receive a registration invite from um, from Joe as you have in the past. Okay, so thank you again, everybody, and stay safe. Enjoy your weekend.
Hey, Cynthia. Bye. I guess I'm going to hit leave.